I hit her up an email and say, I want to play polo. She's like, great, I got a clinic. I come out. I'm on this horse. Can barely ride that horse, mm -hmm. but I'm hooked. That was polo player Dale Johnson. Welcome to Storied San Francisco. I'm your host, Jeff Hunt. Quick reminder that tonight, Michelle will join seven other photographers in an actual live art show called 214. Photographs will be projected on a large wall outside 63 Bluxom Street Gallery, and local brewery will serve food and drinks. The show starts around 645 with an opening band and runs until 1030. Again, this will be at 63 Bluxom Street in the South of Market neighborhood. Back to the podcast. In this episode, Dale picks up where he left off in part one. He moved around a bit after college before returning to San Francisco to be with the woman who is now his wife. He got a job that had him travel to Argentina, where a pair of boots led to his discovery and love of polo. Dale ends this podcast telling us about his involvement in Heels Down, Fists Up, a Bay Area equestrian protest group that formed this summer after the murder of George Floyd. Here's Dale. I've always loved horses, but I didn't really seriously start riding until almost three years ago. Oh, yeah. okay. So I... Can we then wait? Because there's a little bit to fill in absolutely if, we're, if we're if i if i may keep this a little bit chronological absolutely absolutely um, you said you your um your good student years carried on into college absolutely and, and that, um where did you go to college santa clara university okay so, so like too a, far yeah like a good like a good catholic student I, you know i went to yeah i ended up going back to catholic school for high school and then ended up going to a jesuit university okay so i ended up going to school i did apply a little bit back east i've always always wanted to go back east mm -hmm. um but my mother after my parents had split um my mom was sick um oh, okay. she'd actually had a number of sort of gastrointestinal issues that were really bad mm. and um and you know my sister was older so she'd moved out and mm -hmm. so i didn't want to be too far from my mother right so a couple things santa clara um, they were very generous in terms of the sort of academic sort of scholarships and things like that they were giving. That was one. Okay. And two, I wanted to be close to my mother um, to make sure that she was sound. Right. She was sound. So um, my, my desire and, and to, to live on the East Coast and be there one day is, has not sort of gone. But, okay. you know, I mean, in time, in time. Right. But I think I made the right decision to stay close to my mom. Were you able to stay at home or did you move down? I'm, she definitely wanted me to go to the uh, live in the dorms and things okay. like that. So, okay. yeah. So I'm like a four ish year experience or five. In fact, five. Okay. so I did five because I got two degrees. OK. Yeah. So my first degree was actually in, in, in history. Um, and I focused largely in the Middle East and Sub-Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. And I focused in looking at economic development and political development and post-colonial societies okay so understanding the impacts and effects of colonialization on those places right and understanding why the current consequences are what they are mm -hmm. but then also understanding sort of like resource extraction and things like that and how that actually sort of played into the sort of uh, total global economy which is what fascinated me which is why i kind of went into shipping and wanted to kind of go into banking a little bit as well which is kind of i've touched on a little of those in my career yeah, yeah. and a minor in family history like you said right? absolutely with a minor <laughs> in family history it's um, actually still ongoing can we talk about your, your i mean that's i don't know that i've ever known anyone who's worked in shipping yeah that's let's hear about that yeah okay so 
um, I uh, had gotten my first degree in history, and I actually had a, a major in economics, but I was a few credits from just getting another um, sort of my my, mass, my no excuse me my, my bachelor's of science in economics, so economic theory with a focus largely in like um, statistics and, and sort of analysis and stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. Statistical analysis, excuse me. And at that point, it was 2008, there was a recession. Yes. And that's actually another big reason why I stayed another year. I was like, let me get this second degree and see how things play out. I also took that year to apply to a bunch of jobs. Originally, like I said, I wanted to be a banker. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, all those had fallen through because Mm -hmm. all the banks were in hot water. And um, so, you know, there was a huge company when I was growing up called APL, American Mm -hmm. President's Lines, Mm -hmm. uh, in Oakland. And I'd always also, beyond banking, I'd always been fascinated by the global economy. And so shipping was like, I, I could go into shipping. I think that's pretty neat. Um, and so I ended up uh, applying for a sort of a mentorship program, um, no, a management trainee program there. Okay. And so I had the option to go uh, back east to do sales, or I could uh, move down to Los Angeles and work on the ships. Long Beach? Or Long Beach. Long Beach yeah. port, well, Port of LA, Port of Long Beach. So they're, they're, they're like a sister complex. So okay. they're, you know, they're, they're adjacent to each other. They just fall, they just sit in the different cities. Biggest on the West Coast. Largest on the West Coast. Largest second, in the country. So, oh, in the country. I believe so, yeah. And Oakland, I think, on the West is second or third. Or, Oakland's the second, yeah. but I mean, some of them are measured by size and volume. So you would have to say that LA is number one overall. Oakland is number two on the West Coast because when you think consider New York, it's a larger port of entry in terms of volume. Right. So Oakland is probably falls number three or four ish, I think, in the country. I can't Got recall. It. Yeah. So, so you're like, take me to the biggest and baddest. Let's the, do it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the biggest and baddest. So I had the opportunity right out of college to work in the biggest, most badass port. Okay. In the country. How was that? It was fascinating. What did you do? I was what you call a superintendent. Okay. So a superintendent basically is to oversee the operations of the loading and offloading of cargo ships onto trucks and trains and working with the crews on board those ships to make sure that the offloading and onloading happen safely mm-hmm. and to make sure that that ship gets out on time. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to do some fascinating things. I got to go talk to, you know, engineers. It's about, you know, the engines and the engines rooms and when they were having issues, got to learn about, you know, all the bunker fuel and things like that that they use to, to run those ships. It is very dirty, and we should probably find some alternatives. Just yes. want to throw that in there. Yes. And um, and I uh, got to just um, I got to create a sort of an operational um, schematic for how to load these special types of containers. So I created that for the company. That was really cool. Wow. Uh, I got to ballast ships. Okay. If you that's moving the water below decks to actually. Uh, make sure that the ship was balanced. Yeah. That it doesn't um, keel. Yeah, 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 keel over. There you go. So um, <laughs> one boat term. <laughs> I have uh, I have dined with sea captains. Yes. I have. You know, there's there. It, it is great. So it, it is definitely. You've knocked on their peg legs and yeah, all absolutely. That. Yeah. Flapped their eye patches. You know. Serious question though. Have, did you ever go on any of the? voyages unfortunately not okay. so the closest thing i ever got was that they'd forgotten me on um one of the i was in the i was actually on the ship okay and um they were lifting up the gangplank they'd thrown the lines and you felt the whole ship just kind of bounce in the water and went, went very buoyant yeah. and i was like oh my and uh ran out of the uh the the first mate's um quarters and got to the gangplank as they were kind of lifting it up, and then they were able to kind of just hover it over the dock 
and I was able to jump off and onto. You Indiana Jones off the boat. I do a lot, I do a lot of Indiana Jones stuff. I do all my own stunts. <laughs> right, we haven't even got to horses. Yet. Right, exactly. Oh, wow. That, <laughs> yeah, you said, oh my. I think mine might have been a little more explicit language than that. You know, but... I'm trying to keep it PG-13. <laughs> yeah. So I worked on a dock. I worked with liter- literal sailors. sailors. Yes. So I've got a mouth, but I, I try to keep it clean. Okay. That's your, that's your call. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> I've worked in a few places. So I've worked uh, for shipping companies. Uh, I've managed um, container routes uh, throughout the world. I have managed container routes domestically. And then I worked, ended up working for a retailer. I worked for The Gap for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up designing one of their um, tracking systems for all of the inventory moving around the world. So I did that in the global supply chain um, okay. world. And actually, that's actually how I moved into data and data engineering. So I moved directly from... Um, sort of in operations, if you will, and understanding operation to data. And so when I was working in shipping, they had abysmal data. They did not know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's when I got into really like, well, you could automate some stuff. You could, you know, and that's when I really started getting into coding. Mm-hmm. And I actually did it just out of the fact that I wanted things to be more accurate. Mm-hmm. And also I'm a little lazy and I just like to have my days. I, yeah. want, I want the machine to do it for me so I can spend my days riding horses or watching TV or whatever it is. I'm going to go ahead and call that a good use of machines. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so what we want. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so when did you move to the city then? Uh, Can we talk about that? When and what, when and why and what context? Uh, yeah, I will definitely talk about that a little bit. So at the time I was living in Scottsdale, Arizona, that shipping company had moved their offices, the, the, sort of the logistics office or the, or whatever it was you want to call it down to Scottsdale, Arizona from Oakland. Scottsdale's awesome. I actually looked okay. at extreme North Scottsdale too, like Pinnacle Peak area. So it was like right oh, like yeah. near the desert. Yeah. And I loved it. It was beautiful. It was yeah. quiet. Um, and so it was definitely sort of the polar opposite of what I've gotten growing up in Oakland, being in San Francisco a lot with my family on both sides of the bay. Mm-hmm. And so it was nice to just get away and be in the quiet. Okay. And so I enjoyed that. So I was working that job, um, sort of helping understand okay so understanding the marginal cost of moving another container on a route throughout the world that's basically the job that i did got it okay so now that we're there and and we call that the mar at the time Mm -hmm. and so my 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 girlfriend at the time who ended up becoming my fiance and is now my wife uh her father she was caring for her father back in san francisco okay and unfortunately uh due to complications from diabetes uh, he he ended up taking very ill, mm-hmm. and and dying. Okay. And he was he was in his he was in his eighties, so he's quite old. Was she with you in Arizona? She was not. Okay. So we were doing long distance, mm-hmm. um, and so we were just kind of making that work, and then we did that for about two or three years. Okay. And so when he died, uh, my my fiance or now wife at the time was was in college at San Francisco State, mm-hmm. your alma mater, mm-hmm. and she. He, he'd left her, you know, his sort of his estate property and stuff like that. And so that was a lot for her to take care of, to take on as a student. You know, her, jo- her student job wasn't going to cover it. Right. So I, you know, I had, was making some money. And so I decided, you know, I could take a shipping job here up in the Bay Area. So I left APL to Matson. Okay. And so Matson is a very well-known Bay Area company. One, yeah, yeah. Filoli down the street uh, mm. from here was built by the Matson fan. Well, no, it actually was owned by the Matson family. It was built mm. by a German chocolatier, but Mam- Lerlene Matson Roth, who was also very um, sort of uh, she she had a huge hand in the Bay Area equestrian community oh. at at some time. 
Uh, she lived at Filoli. And so and she was a Matson, so I ended up working at Matson. So um, so I took a job at Matson, took a little bit of a pay cut, took a huge tax increase, moved mm-hmm. back to California, mm-hmm. and decided to sort of help my wife take care of all of those things mm-hmm. and make sure that she was she was set up to finish school. And that move was back to live in San Francisco? Yeah, so the house that you know her father had owned and where she was living at the time was in San Francisco. In the Ingleside, you said? In Ingleside. Okay, and that's where you live today. Yep, we still are there. What year was that? When you came 2010. Back? Okay, so you've been back 10 years. 10 years. Okay, I, I guess congratulations. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that at all? Uh, you know, I mean, I like, you know, being here in San Francisco and things like that, I love it. It's an awesome city. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'd like to see, you know, being in Arizona and stuff, I'd like to see a little bit more of the country eventually. Oh, right. Yeah. So and I, that makes sense. Yeah. So we'll with see. what you do. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about horses. Yep. For How sure. did that happen? Okay. To your point about um, me being like, oh, San Francisco, I wanted a job where I could travel, see the world. And I ended up joining on with the Dutch FinTech and Genico e-payments mm-hmm. that allowed me to travel between their headquarters in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And then my boss at the time, he's Argentine, so he said in Buenos Aires. And so it was great. So I could, you know, from time to time go between San Francisco, the Netherlands and Buenos Aires. Had right? you been to Buenos Aires before? I had never been. One of my favorite but, places I've been. I love it. You know, here's how the stars kind of align. Mm-hmm. So I actually learned all about Argentine economy and politics in college at, at, at Santa Clara because one of my favorite professors, his name is Father Arthur Liebscher. He's a, he's a Jesuit there. Uh, he um, was all about focusing on, on Argentine politics hmm. and things like that. And I actually ended up getting my economics degree largely because of my, my fascination about what happened in Argentina. Isn't it kind of still happening-ish or yeah so i mean that there's definitely like fallout from policies that happened decades ago right right and there are people who still i think want to continue said policies and then there's kind of this push and pull in argentina where a lot of people want things to change but then you know you've built sort of the state that's kind of been set up largely like by the peronists Mm -hmm. about how you know these very generous social programs but then the question now is how do you pay for all of these very generous social programs? You mm-hmm. do need a, a th- thriving private sector right. and a tax base right. to make that happen. So I think the problem is is in response to the, the, the inequality that existed in Argentina before the Peronists, which was fair, mm-hmm. the pendulum probably swung too far. Right. Right. And, um, and so that's kind of what you kind of see some of the fallout today. So. I believe Christina, I think I last like Kitchener mm-hmm. is now the president and mm-hmm. she's sort of a modern day Peronist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was there right when the election was happening back in November. Okay. Um, because I was, I was on a polo holiday, as I mentioned on our walkover. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, back to the job. So, um, basically, um, yeah, so I, I'd taken a job. So I, I in college, I learned about Argentina, loved it. And so, well, I mean, this is a place I'd want to get to one day. And all of a sudden, I had this opportunity. I'm interviewing with this Argentine guy, Ariel, Argentine guy on the phone. He ends up being my boss. And a few months later, I ended up going to Argentina. Yes. Right. And I, to the point, like, my grandfather had always been involved with horses. Horses had always kind of been there in the periphery, kind of in my family. I loved them. But then when I got down to Argentina, 
I was in a leather goods shop buying, I believe, some things for my mom, a scarf or something like that. She mm-hmm. told me to bring her something back. Mm-hmm. And I look up and I see an awesome pair of boots. So you'll always see me in a pair of boots because oh, yeah. I just love boots. Yeah. I love them. And um, It's also your Texas roots. It's probably a little bit of the Texas yeah. in me. I, lo- I wear boots everywhere now. Nice. It doesn't matter. Nice. Um, I see a pair of beautiful polo boots up top. And I said, you know, I was like, what is that for? And then the shop keeps like, polo. And I'm like shit i gotta get into polo because those boots are bad ass right so that was your calling it was my calling it was just a pair of boots those boots were badass so uh, a few months later uh i get on the i I actually look it up i'm like polo in the bay area and uh, i learned that there's a polo clinic and uh francesca fanato who runs south bay polo club down in gilroy it's my home club now basically and it's where i play and have found so many friends and people i kind of consider family now mm-hmm. i hit her up an email and say i want to play polo she's like great i got a clinic i come out i'm on this horse couldn't barely ride that horse mm-hmm. but i'm hooked yeah. I'm like, I got to I got to play this. So what part of it was proving it to myself that I could ride this horse and hit the ball, hit the hit the mall, the ball with the mallet. Mm-hmm. Cuz I didn't want to embarrass myself get out there and you know, you drop, you know, 1200 bucks on this clinic and you know, you, you you don't have anything to speak for it about, right? right? So so nothing to show for it. So yeah. that's that's really how I got into it. I saw a pair of boots in a sh- sh- you know, shop in Argentina, came back, started playing polo. And so is that uh there's the clinic is is there like an amateur is it a league or is it just like you, you guys so just get together it's and a have, club really a club. yeah it. so okay. it would be you know a club where a couple of your your friends and stuff get together and um you guys would assign teams almost like pick up pick up basketball if you will like right. if you guys were like hey pick up basketball every thursday friday <clears throat> saturday sunday these are the same people are going to switch up the teams every time. We got some really good players here. We're going to throw on the teams with some of the beginner players, and this is this is this is how we're going to do it. That's kind of basically how the club is. Now we do have official tournaments okay. where it's a little more like formal, and you know you'll have people from different clubs coming out from all around sort of the region. Mm-hmm. But usually on on a weekday, like I play Thursdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Mm-hmm. Usually it's just people from the club. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you guys? <laughs> Pardon my ignorance in all this, but it's like, you know, do you wear certain clothes? And, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah like you, a uniform? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Polo, there's definitely a uniform. Okay. So on Thursday, it's actually a little more It's cat. not ever shirts versus skins? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. What about, like, hats? And, like, we have helmets. So I brought all my helmet. equipment so that we could take a look at it, too. So in polo, there's there are a few things that we, we do wear. So we wear polo whites, and polo whites are the white pants that you usually see. Um, polo players wear is characteristic and then mm-hmm. we have a jersey so usually mm-hmm. it could be a polo shirt mm-hmm. it could be something like a lycra jersey something a little more modern um that you kind of see nowadays and um yeah that's that's it so then on top of that we have we always wear boots so i brought my polo boots just in case nice. not my cowboy boots and then we wear we wear um basically knee pads mm-hmm. um because we have write-offs um, basic and a ride-off is basically you got two horses running up against each other, and you've got to run one. You've got to run run one horse into the other horse. Mm-hmm. So you got to protect those knees, right? Mm. That also protects your knees from the ball too. Mm. So just in case your ball hits your kneecap or something like that, that wouldn't feel good. It would not feel good. And you'll see the ball in just a second. It's this like condensed plastic thing, and you hit that thing, it can break your cheek. Yeah, your, yeah, it could break. It could break a lot of things. Is it more or less soccer? 
ish rules like as far as you know you get the ball down into the thing so F- football soccer like that kind of thing yeah kind of so it's i would say it's a combination there of like hockey almost okay. uh, we, there's no goalie in in polo so right. I'll, I'll just i'll just break it down to you very simply yeah. so polo is four on four mm-hmm. so let's just talk about an official polo match four on four and then you've got two umps on the field mm-hmm. nine football fields and we meet in the middle yeah and obviously one team's going one way the other team's going the other way so basically they do a throw in whoever gets that ball and knocks that ball toward the goal mm-hmm. that creates a line so imagine that you you you've seen a polo shirt and you see that that famous person doing the polo yes. swing yes. so imagine they hit that ball straight up the field okay that creates a line mm-hmm. and now that you've got to play to that line oh so i hit that line or i create the, i hit that ball and create that line so there's a few things that the opposing team can do. Mm-hmm. The opposing player can actually run up beside the other player and do a ride-off, which I just mentioned, which is actually get their horse up and bump them out of the way. Mm. And what we like to call take the line of the ball. It's like a Star Wars move, kind of. It is. The yeah. Oh, yeah, on the little bike thing. Get out of here. It is like that. They took that from us. Probably. Yeah. Yes. Uh, credit where it's due. <laughs> I know. They gotta, yeah, give us a little credit here. Um, we're tired of Polo being in the background. We yeah. need to bring it to the foreground. And that's what this podcast is all about. Yeah, we don't want it to be the background of Pretty Woman anymore. No. It, you know, it, we should just have Polo Woman or something. I don't know. So. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, so you create that line. You can bump it, and the person can take that ball. They can turn that ball or whatever it is that they want to do or whatever defensive move. Or if I'm running up alongside that player that created that line, I can actually take my mallet, and as they go to swing again, I can take that mallet and slap it back down. Boom. That's what we call a hook. You can hook their mallet. You get their mallet you will, so basically with yours? You, they're, they're still holding onto it, but you can hook their mallet uh-huh. and prevent them from swinging. Oh, shit. And then those two players would run off, and then hopefully the players behind you would be able to take the ball right. however right oh my god the next another move that you could do is you could back that ball too right okay. so you could basically you take you bump them out of the way you do the so the first one the first scenario i talked about is like you can take the line you can turn the ball but most likely what would happen is the person would bump that person out of the way take the line and back the ball and they would back that ball back to their teammates who are maybe waiting there that's crazy right and so that teammate can then take that ball back to the field to, to play the other goal wow right is the goal um, a line or is it like a net or it's just like two two big you know two big poles standing there and you Almost, hit oh, it between yeah and you hit it between Got the goals it. yeah so that's fascinating i need to watch some videos yeah so global or po- watch you guys yeah watch you guys play well global or... polo tv actually has there's a really cool app and that's all free and you can watch some really cool polo there so, okay yeah um can we wrap up with unless you have anything else that you want to talk about um Heels down, fists up. Absolutely. Because that essentially is how we're here. Right, exactly. Through your connection with Liz. Yeah, so basically what ended up happening um, after the the murder of George Floyd, I think like everyone else in the country, I was I was I was flabbergasted. Mm-hmm. And I I'll be honest, you know, I'm 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 pretty pretty stoic to a lot of things. I think, you know, I've, I've had my fair share because like, I'm, I'm a, I put it like this. I've seen both sides of the coin. I've definitely been stopped and frisked by a police officer. But then I've also been in my neighborhood and, I, and I've actually been a victim of gun violence in, in my neighborhood, too. Right. Um, in sort of an attempted robbery. Hmm. And they shot out the car windows and stuff. It was it was a really interesting experience. Hmm. 
And so I think for me kind of sitting in the middle of, of this huge debate, it just made me so sad. And I think that like so many people, they didn't know how to react to this event mm -hmm. because it was, it was truly terrible. Right. It was truly terrible. And, you know, I mean, we, we, we kind of talked about some things like when you're kind of feeling helpless and things like that. We talked about 9-11 earlier in our, in our discussion. And that's, that's how you felt when you watched that video. You felt so helpless for that dude. Yeah. And in my opinion, it didn't matter. I know that some people try to bring in what he'd done in the past and things like that. It didn't matter. It does not matter right. at the end of the day. Right. Right. And so um, when I saw the demonstrations uh, throughout the country, and as it started to gravitate and be demonstrations throughout the world mm -hmm. and where this term black lives matter which at one point was an object of scorn and for so many people it is right. and and i think poorly associated with all of these other things i don't think it should be with mm -hmm. become sort of this rallying cry it was very beautiful for me mm -hmm. and i think that when i saw uh brianna noble make her gesture it was amazing to see this, this young, beautiful sort of black woman from Oakland. Equestrian. Equestrian, you know, make this very symbolic gesture. So you saw her in the Oakland I, I saw her in the, I saw her in the media. The <laughs> but from that, right? Yeah, from that protest. Yeah. And it just resonated so deeply with me. Right. And I thought, what a fabulous and fantastic and beautiful gesture for this woman to do this, you know? And I mean... And you, and you think about it, Brianna just wanted to have, have, make her voice heard. Mm -hmm. What a lot of people don't know is her sister sits on the San Francisco Police Department. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, my mom was a sheriff. Like, it's not it's not so black and white for, right. you see throughout the country right, right. for people, right? right? So, I mean, we've got families in law enforcement, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I think that you can still, still see that there are certain inequities. And I think that you can still call them out. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can put a label to it. Mm -hmm. And you can't just say that this person's this because this is what they what they stand for, what they believe. Right. And so um, I saw that and I had a bunch of people reach out and they were like, oh, man, would you do that with your horse? And I was like, man, I was like, well, Sonny's pretty bomb proof. I was like, you got to have a bomb proof horse mm -hmm. to do that. And it was really funny because Brianna did eventually put out like a thing like I was there a few hours early before the major part of the protest. Dapper Dan is, mm -hmm. you know, bomb proof. Mm -hmm. But dapper obviously can't be in a crowd of throngs of thousands right. of people but the gesture nonetheless was absolutely amazing so brianna had actually um reached out and sort of through her social media to equestrians throughout the area to kind of pose in pictures and do something just as symbolic so i was here on the ranch one day and had a picture of me taken doing the same thing and mm. just mentioned the heels down fists up and uh, when they said that they were going to do uh, one of their rides in Marin County, I decided to join up and do it. I thought that, you know, kind of coming together in solidarity and something peaceful would have been something I think my grandparents would have appreciated. Right. Um, I think that my family appreciates it. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are so many people in my community, definitely back home from Oakland, who appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And it, it's 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 nice to kind of put your voice out there and be on something as powerful and as symbolic as a horse. I think that no matter who you are, what walk of life or what your background is, horses hold a special fascination for humans. Absolutely. I mean, they've just been sort of our partners like dogs and cats and things like that. They've been our partners for thousands of years. Right. And there's just something about 
them. They just have a sort of gravitas, if you, if you, if you, to say. Yeah, I love that word. Yeah. Well, like you, um, the first time I saw her was the Oakland protest. The second time I saw her, I believe, is what you're talking about in Marin. Uh-huh. And to me, like, I don't know that I, at that point, I don't know that I had heard her talk or seen words or seen or read words written about her. But to me, it's the, it's the sight. Right. Of, in the Marin thing, it was like you all, it was just so beautiful and, and powerful. Right. Um, how was it to be part of? You know, that was, that was really fun. It was, it was great to see equestrians from all over the place from a variety of disciplines. It was great to represent polo there mm-hmm. um, because I think I was the only polo uh, representation. There aren't a lot of us, so I, that makes sense. Right. Um, there are a lot of Western and English and things like that. So to be a part of that and to to just ride with Briano, this, this very powerful figure and just a great person all around was amazing. And it was good to, to for Sonny and me to to do that and there was just this conviction when I saw it pop up I think it was on on Facebook I just said that I had to be there that I had to I had to say something I had to do something it's it's difficult um to want to do something and not be able to that was Dale Johnson on the next episode of Storied San Francisco, we'll get to know Tammy Adamalukum. Join us for episode 38 next Tuesday. And don't forget Michelle's photo show tonight from 6.45 to 10.30 at 63 Bluxom Street in San Francisco. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me. Michelle and I have produced more than 130 episodes over the last three years, and you can find them all at our website, storiedsf.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where you can like, comment, and share the stuff we put out. Find the podcast just about everywhere you can listen, including, most recently, BFF.fm's new podcast network. Please subscribe to stay up to date on all the content we publish. We love feedback. So if you have any, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay healthy. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.